So I'm really excited to be here and I want to start by just seeing what comes to mind when you guys think of Advent. Candles, Christmas, chocolate, okay, okay. Does anybody have an Advent calendar? Some of you? Okay, cool. So I like typically think of an Advent calendar, which is like this this uh, thing that has like days of, you know, like all the little days leading up. Um, and it there's like a treat or like a little toy or activity going to all the days. And you start at the beginning and you work through all the days. And then what's at the end? Christmas. Christmas. So when I was growing up, I would kind of always think of Advent as just like, a countdown to Christmas, basically. Like, we all know why we're here, Advent. It's for Christmas. But (laughs) I want to let you guys know today that Advent is a lot more than just Christmas. It doesn't just equal Christmas time. Advent is actually its own very special period of time, and Advent actually marks the beginning of the church calendar year. Now, why is that? Because it's celebrating Jesus his birth, and his entrance into the world. And if we're disciples of Jesus, everything revolves around him. His life, his ministry, his gospel, it all begins with his arrival. So that's why we celebrate Advent. So to define just a few terms before we go any further, the first one is Advent, which I've already started talking about, but Advent Um, comes from the Latin word adventus, and it means arrival, okay? So somebody tell me what you think about when you think about an arrival. How do we prepare for an arrival, like if someone's coming over? Clean. Anybody host Thanksgiving? Okay, what were some things you had to do to prepare? Cook, yeah. Clean the house, yeah, definitely. So my parents um, actually hosted Thanksgiving this year for the first time in several years. I am so proud of them, guys. They redid their entire dining room and kitchen. Um, And, I mean, they were going to do those things anyway. It wasn't just for Thanksgiving, but, like, that was the motivating factor, okay? So they worked really hard. They, like, they took the wallpaper off. It has been there for 30 years. I am not lying. Like, it did not come off easily. It came, like, like piece by piece. Um, And anyways, they put all this work in, and I actually have a few photos for you. That is uh, their Thanksgiving table. Look at them. Yeah, there's another picture of, like, the centerpiece. They, They painted. They did the dining room. They did the kitchen. It was really cool to see them do that together, all in preparation for this arrival. You know, when somebody's arriving, we think about the things that they need. We anticipate their needs. We get excited because we're looking forward to that arrival. And I want you to keep that in mind as we move through this season because God's people were looking forward to and anticipating the arrival of their king. This is the gospel that they have been waiting for. Now, the word gospel simply means good news. Now, when I say good news, What do you think about? I think about bad news. Because I feel like good news and bad news go together. So like, I feel like it's normal for someone to say, well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Or if somebody comes to you and they say, 
Well, the good news is, what's coming after that? The bad news, right? The cool thing that I love about the word gospel is there's, there's nothing bad about it. There's no catch. It's just good news. That the rival of Jesus and his gospel is good news. It must really be good news for everyone. This gospel is good news for God's people who have been waiting. Remember, they're waiting for their king. We just talked about this when we did God part one and we moved through the story of Exodus. God's people, Israel, have gone through slavery, the exodus. They've wandered. They've wanted a home of their own. And they are anxiously waiting for the dwelling presence of God. This is the good news that they have been waiting for. If the gospel is good news for everyone, it means that it's good news for the people who were there when it happened. And I am going to let you know that the people who were there when this happened, when Jesus was born, they are not necessarily the people that you would expect. Has anyone ever seen the movie Dodgeball? All right. Up top, do not endorse this as a family-friendly movie, letting you know. But Dodgeball, it's a great grown-up movie. All right. So uh, you have these two teams, and they're in competition with each other for um, their playing dodgeball. So the people on the left here, that's a Globo Gym. They've got like those nice matching outfits. They've got a coach who knows what he's doing. They have this really fancy gym, all this money, all these resources, okay? So they're like super ready to go. The team on the right, who are they? The average Joes, okay? They, some of them have never like played dodgeball before. Their gym is like falling apart. They have no uniforms. They have no money. Okay? So the people that were there when Jesus were born, was born, they're kind of like the average Joes, which I really like because like if I were on one of these two teams, let's just, you know, I'd be on the average Joes. They're... The people at Jesus' birth are kind of like this average Joe team. They're not the biggest, they're not the strongest, or the most important. They're pretty average by most standards. Mary, Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds, these people are poor. They're the outsiders. They're normal, like me, like you. These are the people that God chooses to use to bring the gospel the good news of Jesus into the world. If the gospel is good news for everyone, it also means that it is good news for us today. So I don't know about you guys, but I could use some good news today and every day. I need to look to this season for the arrival of these things that we're going to talk about, like hope, peace, joy, and love. I want to find those things in my life, and I want to find those things in the world around me. And I bet you do too. So this Advent, we are going to take a look at the story of Jesus' birth from the perspectives of the people who were there. And I want to encourage you guys to lean into these perspectives 
Ask yourself, what does the arrival of Jesus mean for them? And what does it mean for us? We're going to start today. Hi, Mila. We're going to start today. She's looking at me now. She's like, okay. We're going to start today um, with Mary and Joseph. Okay? And the idea of hope. Now, as I read this text, we're going to start with Mary. I really want you to imagine what this must be like for her. And remember, this doesn't sound like a nice thing to say about somebody, but she's a pretty average woman, okay? Pretty normal. She's from a small town. It's currently under Roman rule when this is happening. So this is what happened. Luke chapter 1, starting at 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of, his, of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. So, Mary's engaged to be married, and this angel comes to her. What's her response? It says she's confused. Yes. What? Somebody said that. Yes, that's a good response. She was confused. She was probably also scared because... The next thing that the angel says to her is what? Don't be afraid. Then the angel goes on to explain to Mary that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. At this point, I feel like Mary has kind of broken through that average ceiling. Like, they're like, uh, yeah, she's, she's catapulted her way to captain of the average Joes now. Um, just kidding. So, I'm guessing, though, this is not a typical evening for her. Before we unpack that more, though, I want to check in with Joseph and see how he experiences receiving this news. So, again, Joseph, pretty average dude. Think about these words. Imagine what this must be like for him. Starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So, we're told that Joseph is a righteous man, so he's a good guy. He doesn't want to cause any trouble for Mary, so he's contemplating this very difficult decision of calling off their engagement. He was probably also scared because, again, the angel says to him, don't be afraid. The angel tells Joseph that this baby Mary is having will save his 
people. So what can we learn from these two accounts? Something stood out to me as I was reading through these. Um, There's this progression, I believe, that takes place. There's an expectation. Then there's the reality. And then there's hope. And when I was processing this, I was like, man, I really feel like you kind of move from one to the other. So we're going to look at that in several different ways today. So in terms of Mary and Joseph, they're hearing the news of this arrival. First, there's an expectation, right? They have expectations. They have plans to be married. I don't know what their plans were, but it probably was not this. So second... They're confronted with this new reality, okay? Change of plans. And we're told that they respond with confusion or fear. That's how it feels when our expectations are shattered, right? Finally, there's hope. Mary and Joseph are each told what? Don't be afraid. Then they are each given a picture of what hope looks like when the angel says to them, this son of yours, he is going to be great. He will rule forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. He will save his people from their sin. This is hope. This arrival of Jesus also brings hope in the bigger picture of God's story. Because remember, there's this whole thing that's happening with God's people all throughout the story of the Bible, okay? So I want you to remember that. So read this next part. This is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 3. There was a census going on at the time, by the way, where everybody had to be counted. So everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. Joseph went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Okay. Remember, God's people are expecting what? A king. How would you expect a king king to show up? Horse, carriage, palace, pomp, circumstance, all that kind of exciting things. Remember, God's people, they are under Roman rule right now. They've been conquered. So they're probably expecting like a militant takeover. They're expecting a fight or a war, something like that, when their king comes. When we think of kings, we also typically think of things like wealth, power, security. These were the expectations. In reality... Their king enters this world as a helpless child. Our king enters this world as a helpless child. 
Is this child born in, like, the hospital with, like, all the best nurses and doctors because he's, like, such an important child? Is he born in, like, the biggest castle? That would be pretty cool, but no, he's not. Or to the richest parents? No. Where is he born? Born in a manger. All right. Manger is probably, like, dirty, smelly, for sure unsanitary. Does not seem like the place for the king of the world to be born. But Mary wrapped him snugly and laid him in this manger. The king was born in the most fragile human form, in poverty and in humility. How is this good news? Well, consider this. Before Jesus was resurrected, before his death on the cross, before his ministry began, he became a human being. This is the good news. That our Father, creator of the universe, chose to dwell among his people. This reality defied expectations and brought hope. So what does this mean for us? To answer this question, I'm going to um, share with you the story of my good friend, George Bailey. Um, He is the lead character in the beloved Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. And if you haven't seen the movie, that's okay. We're going to watch a a trailer, and I still want you to do the same thing that I asked you to do when I read through the accounts of Mary and Joseph and thinking about God's people and their history. I want you to look at this, though, and I want you to think about your life. Because George has to go through this progression as well. He's got some expectations some dreams, then there are some realities that he has to face. Eventually, he finds hope. By the way, I do endorse this as a family-friendly movie. Okay? So I want you to think about that. See if you can relate to this story as we watch this. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year. Guys, (laughs) it's so (laughs) you guys gotta watch it okay all right talking here we go eyes on me no just kidding all right you guys should watch it it's a great movie but why does it evoke that emotional response from us and why is this one of the most popular classic christmas movies ever because it's it's so relatable right aren't we all george bailey He has these expectations. He wants to see the world. It's this famous line, I'm going to shake the dust off this town and I'm going to see the world. And later you see him and he says, I want to do what I want to do, right? He wants to see the world. He wants to be successful. And these expectations are not met and he ends up staying in his hometown He inherits the family business. He becomes a husband and a father. And by all most standards, George has this great life. But he carries this resentment because the life he has is not 
the life that he expected. And eventually, he's confronted with this unpleasant reality. He finds himself in trouble. Haven't we all been there? He's confused. He's scared. He has to face reality. And so do we. So did Mary and Joseph. And reality is not what we expect. He realizes all of these wonderful things that he has in his life when George goes back and sees what life would be like if he had never been born. He realizes he has so many wonderful things, his family, his town, the people that he gets to do life with. And these are the things that are his reality. They are also his sources of hope. Hope is not found where our expectations are met or exceeded. Hope is found despite our circumstances, despite those unmet expectations. Hope is found when we embrace the unknown and we live in the reality of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you guys with just a few ideas, some thoughts, some questions to think about. Where can you find hope? It may not be where you expect, right? Mary and Joseph found hope in a newborn baby that disrupted their plans. God's people found hope in a king who came to dwell among his people. George Bailey found hope in his own life when he stopped long enough to take a look at it. Is there an area of your life where you need hope? Are there things that are confusing or scary for you? Do you have expectations that are keeping you from embracing reality? Do you find yourself harboring resentment over unmet expectations? I would challenge you to name those things. Lean into them. Recall the words spoken to Mary and Joseph. Say it with me. Don't. Be afraid. The gospel of Jesus shows us that we can have hope despite our circumstances. This is good news, friends. So we're going to do something kind of neat, exciting, interesting throughout this series. Today, I've been challenging you guys as I've been reading through these texts to try to find yourself in the story, what are the things that you relate to with Mary or Joseph or God's people or George Bailey for that matter? So we have some some people from our community that are going to be sharing their experiences, what this means for them and how these ideas play out in their lives. So join me in welcoming up my friend and birthday girl, Lindsay Durenberger. She is going to be sharing with us about hope in her life. It may sound strange, but on this first day of Advent, as we're all looking toward that manger, that smelly, unsanitary manger, I can't but help, help but look also toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Stranger still for me, the Garden of Gethsemane looks less like a collection of flora and fauna and more like a 10-foot by 10-foot room with a skinny window and white walls covered in Harry Potter quotes and framed Pokemon cards. This is my office and my guest room. 
And for me, Good Friday this year was not in the spring, but rather on Friday, September 20th, 2019. And my cross, the cup that I begged the Lord to take from me was a stage 2-3 cancer diagnosis at 33. I'm 34 now. <laughs> but I was 33 when I was diagnosed, and that is the same year, same age that Jesus was when he was betrayed. The weekend of my diagnosis, when I couldn't sleep, and those closest to me were all sleeping soundly in my house, I curled up on my folded-out futon in my office, in my garden, and I felt just like Jesus when I looked up at that ceiling and cried out to God, asking why he had abandoned me. Just then, an idea flashed in my mind, no doubt a, in hindsight, a prompting from the Holy Spirit. Call 211 Big Bend, which is a 24-hour support phone line, in case you didn't know. I had never called 211 ever in my life at this point. Hi, baby. So I rolled over and I grabbed my phone in the dark and I hit the three numbers and waited patiently. After a few seconds, a sweet nursing student named Catherine answered. I quickly explained to her that I'd just been diagnosed with cancer and I was feeling very alone and, you guessed it, hopeless. After an hour of her validating my feelings and walking me through some breathing exercises to bring my anxiety down, we ran out of things to talk about. So I turned the conversation onto her, which, if you know me, is very on brand. So, Catherine, I said, clearing my throat and wiping away some residual tears. I don't want to be alone, uh, but I can't hang up with you, so tell me about you. Why did you decide to volunteer for 201 Big Bend? Which, yes, is the middle of the night, volunteer position, she is not getting paid to do this. Upon this request, I could tell Catherine was shifting in her seat a little bit, clearly uncomfortable with this unconventional role reversal. Well, she began cautiously, I guess I just, she was clearly struggling. I guess I just like helping people. Of course, I said, kind of disappointed. Okay, actually, she offered, acknowledging my dejection. Do you want to know the real answer? I straightened up on that futon. Of course. I decided to volunteer for 211 Big Bend and to also go to nursing school because when I was four years old, I was diagnosed with a very rare aggressive cancer. Sorry. My jaw fell open. The nurses, doctors, and counselors I met during treatment changed my life, and I wanted to do exactly what they did for me for other people. I kept silent, stunned. Of course, of all the middle-of-the-night volunteers that could have answered my call, I got the one who had beaten cancer as a child, no less. That's amazing, was all I could eke out as tears collected in my eyes. For the next hour, Catherine and I chatted about what I could expect in treatment, and she proclaimed a truth, a hope, over me that has continued to carry me through, even to this very moment, where I am looking back at six weeks of radiation and chemotherapy, and also staring down two major surgeries and five more months of chemo. Today isn't the day of your diagnosis, she declared. It is your first step toward remission. <laughs> and suddenly the fear and anxiety I was feeling started to slowly be replaced with hope. 
Hope for healing and remission, sure, but also hope in a God who hears the cries of his children in their gardens of anguish. My diagnosis was my first step toward remission, and today, the first day of Advent, is our first step toward resurrection. Thank you.